And matter of fact, this morning you may be in this room thinking I'm really not I'm not real desirable because of my past or because of my present or maybe the way I look or the way I'm built or something about me I'm not very desirable. And isn't it amazing in the eyes of us we always look at the obvious of what we consider desirable. It's not anything that's usually the depths of the, of the condition of the heart or the character of the person. We so often look at just the outward frame. If you would go back and you'll study in the early times of Israel when they wanted a king, and they wanted a, a king that looked like a great leader. He had the great position. He looked good. And they chose a guy by the name of Saul. Not Saul. Yes, yeah, Saul. And so Saul was this guy that was head and shoulders. He looked good. But even though he looked good on the outside, the inside became corrupted. Sometimes you and I have to look beyond the obvious. Yeah, maybe you're not built the way you want to be made. Maybe you're not as smart as someone else in your family. And maybe you don't have the talents as somebody else has. But you were uniquely made with uniqueness that they don't have as well. It's just that we look at the obvious and it eats us up and it hinders us. And we get so hung up on the obvious that we never see the depths of who we are. In the book of Genesis in 29, we're going to start in verse 15. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me what I shall, shall thy wages be. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was, was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. You can read that in different translations. And, and I read a lot of things about Leah and Rachel this morning. I was just looking at different people's opinions. And one of the things that most commentators said is that Leah, Rachel was the good-looking, well-built girl. She had it all. She was built good. She looked good. And every guy, when they walked into the room, they looked at Rachel. She was the one that caught her eye, but they didn't really pay a lot of attention to Leah. And yet they were sisters. That's the way it was. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel. How long had Jacob been around Rachel? Not very long. Matter of fact, he met her moving the big stone off of the well to water the flocks. And, and when he did, he saw her and his heart skipped a beat. And he went up to her and gave her a kiss, not on the mouth, but a kiss on the head or the cheek or whatever. It was a kind of a customary thing there. And he knew she was family. But she caught his eye. And I don't know about you. Have you ever been that guy or that girl that you're with somebody and, and you meet somebody, you, you're in high school or junior high or kindergarten, whatever it is, you start liking boys and girls, whatever, and, and you're with your buddy and all of a sudden you meet this good-looking girl and you go, whoa, wow, sweet. And she comes walking up to you thinking, this is going to happen, and she goes to your buddy. Yeah, and you look at it, and this is stinks, man, this, this blows, I'm walking away. And so you're discouraged, you know, just stay with me, but that's kind of what happened. Leah seen this new dude coming to look for a wife and, and his family, and he was going to be a, a possible spouse. And, and Leah, you know, was thinking, maybe he'll pick me, maybe he'll pick me. Because most of her life, I can tell you that Leah wasn't picked and Rachel was. And as some of you here this morning, you can remember those feelings of rejection because somebody picked the other person and not you. Yeah, you do. And some of you still feel like, in, in your marriage, you feel like you're not good enough. Or maybe, maybe your husband or maybe your wife always insinuates little things that you're underneath them and that you're not as good or you're kind of maybe subpar of what they could have had. <clears throat> I may be Aaliyah, but I've got something that Rachel ain't got, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. And you may be Aaliyah, but you got something that Rachel doesn't have. So often we looked at the obvious things because they're just there. So here he looks at her and, 
And verse 19, and Laban said, uh, and actually verse 18, and Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you for seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Now, what did Jacob have to offer? Nothing but labor. And he said, I'll give you seven years of work for Rachel. And how many of y'all think that Rachel kind of blushed and just looked, gave you the little eyes, batted her eyes, and, and Leah just walked out of the room. Now, this is just my interpretation. And Leah walks out of the room and goes to another room and probably began to cry or whatever, felt rejected again. And, and so here we have this scenario set up between Laban and Jacob. He's going to work for seven years. Verse 19, and Laban said, it's better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. In other words, stay and work for seven years. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days for the love he had for her. Is that not the sweetest thing ever, ladies? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, when you love something and you're working for something out of love, the time isn't really that big an issue. Whenever I left Friday morning, uh, Maisie has always been my travel partner, always has been. If I go to Kansas City, she'll go with me. I drive to Springfield and back, she'll go with me. Well, this is, the most, this is the most strange trip I've ever had with her because we got in the vehicle and we got to Sykeston and we got McDonald's and we're on our way and she goes, are we close yet? No, honey, we've got almost six hours to go. I didn't tell her that. I said, no. Then we got to Kentucky. I said, hey, we're in Kentucky. Should we, are we almost to Granny in Kentucky's yet? No, we're still not to Granny's. I heard that I don't have many times on the way over there. After we got there, we drove another hour and 20 minutes or so up into the mountains over to Harlan, Kentucky. When we got into Harlan, was there until later that evening and come back home an hour and 20 minutes back to mom's. Got up the next morning, got her up, cleaned her up. Mom took care of her, whatever. Got back in the vehicle, drove an hour and 20 minutes up there. After the funeral, drove an hour and 20 minutes back, and then we drove six hours on the way home. Just so you know, Maisie was not a happy camper coming home yesterday. I want to see Mimi. I want to go home. Now, what's my point in all this? Honey, do you know it? Oh, when you love somebody, it's not a big deal. Well, let me tell you, Maisie was not loving Papa yesterday. She just wasn't. It didn't matter how much time she had with me. It didn't matter how many songs she sang to the top of her lungs, making them up as she went. It never was because of love for me. She tried to stay awake. And, but when a guy loves a girl, man, he'll just go through things. And, He'll tolerate things, and he'll just grin and go through them. But when you don't love something, it seems like forever. Well, Jacob served for seven years, and he was all excited. Great things were going on and uh, in his life. He thought, man, I've got purpose. I got sent here because I sold my brother's birthright and his blessing. Life is good. I go here, and I meet this beautiful chick. Her name is Rachel. Her father gives her to me, and tonight is our wedding night. I am so pumped. We've got our own tent. We've got a camel hair bed. I mean, it's a little prickly, but it's okay. I'm in love. So they have a big party, and everybody's dancing, and all this food is made. It's just a great big time. And so he goes to the house first, and when he gets to the house or the tent, if you will, he's inside, and there's a little candle lit, and it's kind of dim, and, and the night is his. Open the door, and his figure comes in. He's so excited because here comes his wife. Here's Rachel. He's pumped up. Am I losing you? Am I killing you? It's just like, oh, my goodness, he's wearing me out. I'm not going to get graphic here, y'all. I'm just, I'm just trying to set the stage here. Here's a guy that thought everything was perfect. He had the inheritance, he had future money, he had all these things, he had a beautiful wife. And he goes in, and, and when he goes in there, let's just, let's just go back a little bit farther here. Um, 
Let's go to verse, 20, yeah, verse 21. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, for the days are fulfilled that I may have her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, and they made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her into him, and he went in unto her. And Laban gave his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his, his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and he said unto Laban, What is this that thou have done unto me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? And I'll stay here for a minute. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being Jacob, the great deceiver, thinking he's going to bed that night with, his, with Rachel, and he's so excited about his new wife, and he couldn't tell she was in the dark, but he, he wakes up the next morning and goes, Right? I don't know what he thought. A thousand things. But one of the things he knew is that he was deceived. Now, I want to return the tables a little bit. What did Leah think? How would you have felt? How would I have felt if the night my wife and I got married? I woke up the next morning. She looks at me. She goes, oh, oh, sick. Where's your mom and dad? I'm going, where was Marty at? I was supposed to marry Marty, and I ended up with you. That's horrible. Another disappointment for Leah. And, and some of you, I think, are going to relate to this because I really feel like a lot of times we feel like a Leah. We feel like the less than because of whatever reason, and we don't ever feel like, like we're quite up to par. We go on and read down, and he has her. And, but I want to go a little, a little farther down. In verse 26 through 30, it says that Laban said, Okay, it must be done in our country that the oldest goes first, but I'll give you uh, Rachel. So he worked uh, 10 days. He, he stayed 10 days with Leah as his wife, and then he gave him Rachel. And so at this point, go if you're in your Bibles to chapter 30. Chapter 30. One of the things I do want to read in, uh, in verse um, chapter 29. In verse 29 it says, And Laban gave to Rachel. No, wrong part. Oh, verse 30. And he went in also unto Rachel, and he, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now, that's the scenario we've got for him to have two wives. And I don't know about you, but two wives would be rough. It would be rough. And, and I know you may think whatever, but it would be rough. Some of you guys say, man, I'd like to have a couple wives. I wouldn't have to do nothing. They could do it all. And, but that's not the scenario because what happened was they just invited lots of drama. Go to chapter 30 and look in verse 1. I'm going to show you something that went on. Because in the last part of chapter 29, Leah had already given him four sons. He had already had them. So look at chapter 30. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, she envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Now I'm going to stop there for a minute because there's a lot of dynamics in this whole relationship that's about to go south. But let me share this with you. What would Rachel's personality have been like if she had been through everything Leah had been through? She can't have children, so now she can't have kids. So now she is angry because she's not having kids, and she's jealous of who? She's jealous of Leah. Isn't it amazing over time if you will stay faithful, even if you're a Leah, and you may not look the way you want to look. You may not be as smart as somebody else. You may not have the opportunities others have. If you will remain faithful, the tide will begin to turn at some point. The problem is a lot of us don't stay the course. We quit. We run. We abandon the ship. Because we all want the Rachel. 
You know, the Rachel mentality is such a more of a juvenile thinking. You know, it's a, everything looks good. She's built good. All of those things. But in chapter 30, and this, right now we begin to see a change in the relationship between Jacob and Rachel. Rachel began to be demanding, and she was demanding, and she was demanding, and she was angry, and she was frustrated, and she was jealous because she didn't have something that Leah had. And so she started looking for ways to get even or to have something that was equal, and she brought her maid and presented her to Jacob, and he had relations with her maid or her servant and had children through her. And, and so things are getting complicated because the pendulum, if you will, is beginning to shift. And Jacob is beginning to see something that Leah had never seen before. Yeah. A lot of times you may feel a lot of negative thoughts because somebody else seems to have it all. And some people do have it all. Some people have got that sweet spirit and, and they're smart and they've got all those things with it. But that's very rare. Most of us are just Leah's. We just want to be at Rachel. This was creating deeper wounds for him, and, and jealousy is something that's found in every one of us. But Jacob now is having to deal with a, a wife that's providing kids, but he doesn't want to be with, and a wife that doesn't have any kids that he wants to be with, but she can't produce and So she's mad at him, and she's blaming him, and he's blaming her, and it's conflict. At this point, Jacob is recognizing is that one is a producer and the other is a divider. Competition for children continued. It was obvious that they were beginning to slap each other's face through their servants and through themselves by their kids. But yet Leah is not rewarded for any of her hurts or her frustrations that she had experienced in the past except kids. Let me tell you the way things work. In chapter 35, if you would go there. And some of you think, well, this is a history lesson, and it is. But so is your life. Every one of our lives are a history lesson. And, and we're either going to fulfill things and be the consistent person that Leah was or we're going to be like Rachel. Things get frustrated and we get tired of something we want to change. And we want everything to come conveniently because, matter of fact, because I'm a Rachel. I should have all of these things. And, and we're not entitled to things just because we look good or we're smart or our name is. You know, if you know, know what the term uh, narcissist is, is someone thinks that because they're speaking, everybody ought to listen. Someone who's narcissistic thinks because they think something, everybody else should think like them. A narcissistic person is a person who wants everything in life to revolve around them without learning to sacrifice on behalf of others. And the difference you have with Leah and Rachel is that Rachel was always the gifted one, and Leah was the one that was always pushed out. Go to chapter 35, verse 16. And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephraim, and Rachel, Rachel travailed. I do want to say this, that eventually, after several kids with her, her servant, Rachel actually conceived, and she, I think she had two or four sons. But in this particular place, this is her last son. And as she travailed, she was in hard labor. And it came to pass that while she was in hard labor, and the midwife said unto her, Fear not, for thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, she was about dead, she called his name Benoi, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Ephrath, which is in Bethlehem. Now, I want to tell you something. You may wonder why I read in chapter 49 first. Because there is something unique about a person who sets their life apart, regardless of how bad it's been. Regardless of where you've been and how you may not have had the opportunities others have. And may, let me just throw this out with marriages. 
Maybe your marriage hasn't been what you think it should have been. Maybe your spouse doesn't treat you the way they should. Maybe you come here by yourself. And I don't know the particulars of your, of your application, but I know this. There is something about the consistency and how we live and how we respond. Because the reason I read that about Leah in the beginning is because Rachel was buried in another place, far away from the place that Leah was buried. But the thing is, when Jacob dies, Jacob is buried with Leah, not Rachel. Even though she was his first love and she was the one that he adored and all the things about her was unique. Another interesting fact about this is this. If you go to chapter 35, we read that she died having Benjamin, which is the last son. I want you to go to 49 again because I want you to notice who Leah was buried with. And there they buried Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. Why would he choose Leah? Why would he not send Rachel back to that place, that holy sepulcher, the place of the foundation of the Jewish belief and Judaism? Why would he not? Because he found a value, and there may have been some historical reasons and, and some the first wife or whatever. I don't really know the detail, but I know this. There was something unique about Leah that he embraced. Leah, and you may think, well, when I'm dead, I'm dead, and that's true. But there was something established with the kids. If you know, there was divisions in their children as well. Matter of fact, it's pretty obvious when you look at the life of Joseph and what he went through. Because there was division between Rachel and Leah. But who was buried? Rachel. Who was buried in a sanctified place? A place of, that had great reverence and holy things. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up if they would. You and I cannot continue to base our lives base it all on the disappointments in the current or the past. It takes time to fulfill and learn to work in His divine direction. If there's anybody that I feel like we can see in Scripture that lived a divine purpose out, it was Leah. Even though she wasn't wanted, even though she didn't look as good, even though she wasn't as popular, maybe she wasn't as smart, I don't know the details, but I know this, a lot of us fall in that category. And because we fall in that category, we feel inadequate. And there is nothing inadequate about any believer that gives their heart to him at all. This morning you may be here and you, you may be bombarded with some things in life right now. You may be living with a, a life full of regrets. But I wonder how many people live with a life full of regrets because they don't think they have a future. They can't see past the present. They can't see past the obvious. I'm going to read a passage and we've all heard it many, many times over the years. And it's, it's a very common one that a lot of people read. And it's in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah in chapter 29, but I'm going to read a couple other verses with it. There is something about endurance. I'm going to share something with you, and I've shared it before. Whenever, um, whenever there's a death in the family, it, it, it brings a lot of things to light. And uh, I got to hear more stories about things I hadn't heard from my mother and different family members uh, at the funeral. And but while I was there this past week, um, this thing that I've seen the most is that I've seen the hand of God in Marvin Hensley's life. And I can't divulge all the things that I've seen, a divine plan in his life. But the envir environment in which my father was raised was, was, was not, not real conducive of, of a, a positive thing. Uh, my mother said that when he was in high school, he, he was a pretty good student, he's a pretty smart guy, and and. But he would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning 
to leave the house to go up on the ridge. It was called uh, a Little Raccoon Mountain. It's what it's called. And we went up on the mountain. There were some big flat stones up there. I used to go up there and show my brother that after my father passed away. Showed him a place my dad took me to show me he used to go for solitude. And I'm not being ugly, but uh, our grandparents' house was loud. Lots of noise. Lots of, lots of, lots of noise. And um, because of my, my uncles who were there and, and uh, my father really struggled with, with some solitude because that's how he kept his saneness. But the thing that my father told my mother, she told me this, um, I guess it was yesterday. She said, he said, Martha, there's not another girl in our school that would have ever married me with my family. They would have never married me because of the conditions. And you know, a lot of us in this room feel like we're never worthy or never good enough because of conditions of our home or conditions of our past. At some point, you and I have to get past the conditions of our past, and, and maybe even the condition of your present. Leah was the one who was buried, but she was buried with regard and dignity and love and, and being cherished. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 10 says this, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good, will, my good word toward you. And causing you to return to this place. And I'm going to take verse 10 for a minute. You may have been where you've been for years. But friend, that has never been where God wanted you to stay. Leah was always second fiddle. She was never good enough. She was never pretty enough. But that was not where the Lord wanted her to stay. He had something different for her. And friend, sometimes we come to church, and I know I speak messages in, in, in regard to this, that there's a bigger purpose, but sometimes we still live the same way. We never get it. And we feel like so unworthy or it's always for someone else. But I don't believe that. I believe it's for every one of us. There is a purpose higher than where we're staying, where we've made our nest. The life that we're living, there is something greater. Verse 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. The second part of this is this. Not only is, was there a purpose in Leah's life from the beginning, although she didn't see it, and it wasn't obvious, there's the same purpose in your life and mine. I know the thoughts I think toward you. Thoughts of peace, thoughts of direction, thoughts of prosper. And you may feel like God's never had interest in you. And a lot of times we never feel that he has interest because we've been so clouded by confusion and doubt and unbelief and the way we look or the way we seem compared to everybody else because we always compare ourselves. Great Sunday school this morning, Sister Bother, until I left. I don't know what happened after I left, but I'm sure it was even better. But she was talking about the images that we present and how we dress and, and how we often make judgments on people because of the way they're dressed. Being a servant of the Lord is not about causing and creating judgments. I mean, it's about sharing truth and, and bringing a hope to somebody who doesn't have any hope. Leah didn't have any in the natural, but over time her consistency provided it. And her husband's heart, I believe, turned more from Rachel to the life of, Ray, of Leah. And you may be a Leah this morning. But God has got a purpose in your life. Man, I believe that with everything that's in me. I'll go a step farther. In the New Testament one day, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he heard these guys yelling, Man, Jesus, son of, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped, and, and it was ten guys, and, and they were all lepers, and they had leprosy, a, a disease that was going to kill them all. And, and they said, have mercy on us. And he said, go show yourself to the priest. Were they supposed to die a leper? No. 
Did they have a purpose beyond what they saw was obvious? Yep. And it's so different than us. One of them was grateful, the other nine were not. But friend, are you the one that's grateful? And you're going to believe God for it in your life, or are you just going to be the nine who goes on about your life living the way you've lived? I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. We do altar calls. We have times where people stand and pray. People go with each other and pray. People stand and say, I, I'm in need, man. i got to have direction. I need this. But friend, I'm going to ask you to respond just a little differently this morning. We're actually going to open the altars up. We don't take a lot of time to do this, but we have to this morning. Because there's some people here that you feel because you're different or because you look different or, or maybe you're made different or, or whatever the things are and people's always treated you different that you are different, but in all reality... You have some of the characteristics and the blessings and the direction that God's wanted to use you just being clouded with the mindset of Leah. If you're here this morning, man, you've got to get some things right. And you know there's a purpose and you made excuses for how you live and what you've done and, and the direction you've been in or, or the anger that you have and the unforgiveness. Friend, you need to get things cleared up this morning. We're going to open these altars. I'm going to ask you to respond. This isn't a feather in the cap. It's not to expose anything. It's, it's for you to get honest with yourself and with the Lord. And say, Father, I may be Aaliyah, but I know one thing. There is a purpose. I may be Aaliyah, but Lord, I know this morning that there is a direction in my life. You know, and how you think toward me is different than I thought you thought about me. So, Father, I ask you, and I come to this altar this morning, and ask you, Lord, to come into my life, come into my mind, work in my life in a way that only you can. Get things straightened out between you and the Lord. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat.